0: I love it when you read to me. Books can take us around the world. They can take us to the intimate spaces of human experiences. And they can help us grow through their words. Stay tuned for People of the Book with Janice Liebowitz.
1: I am Janice Leibovitz and you are my People of the Book. And today it is my great pleasure to have as my guest Joanne Fedler. Joanne, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Janice. It really is a pleasure. And I know this has been a very busy trip to South Africa for you. And I wish you and your family long life on the recent loss of your mother.
0: Thank you so much.
1: And I know a lot of planning, -planning, replanning, your launch, your launches in both Joburg and Cape Town. A lot has been happening for you. It's been quite a heavy trip. So thank you so much for taking the time to chat to me today. And Honestly, it's my pleasure. Really, we're going to be talking about... Your latest book and really you are a child of Africa and we claim you as our own. You haven't lived here for many years. You are here from Australia, but we do claim you as our own. We are so proud of you, which is why we, we still, see you are ours and you have huge popularity here. And the book that recently came out published by Penguin Random House South Africa is unbecoming. It's really loosely part of a trilogy it's it's the third book in a trilogy that started off quite a few years ago in 2006 with secret mothers business. Tell tell me a bit about that. Oh, well, but
0: before I say anything, Janice, I want to say that I claim myself as a child of Africa. <laughs> you know, uh unlike a lot of people who immigrated to Australia, I am a dual citizen and have maintained my South African citizenship as something I would never ever want to ever relinquish. So, <laughs> you know, I always I feel like I have, you know, a foot in you know on each continent and always sort of, you know, trying to bring these two parts of myself together. So I'm so thrilled and i love my south african readers i love my south african community and um feel very very always feel so loved and welcomed when i come here um so thanks again for for having me so i'll get to your question um about the the third in the trilogy of secret mother's business so in 2006 secret mother's business came out and it was based on a night that i spent with a group of girlfriends uh, when we had young children and we were also kind of, you know, maternally overburdened and we just couldn't wait to get away from the demands of, of early motherhood. And we left our husbands and our children home. We had the sleepover and it, it actually happened with a group of friends and we drank a lot and we ate a lot. You know, food is always such an important part of my life and an important part of my, the way I, I love people and am loved by people. And so it was a huge feast that we had over the course of this night. And as the night wore on and as, the different alcohol, you know, was being consumed. So people started revealing deeper and deeper secrets about the realities of motherhood and the unromanticized side of motherhood and actually how, how each of us was struggling in different ways, which was kind of not the narrative that, you know, you normally hear about motherhood, which, you know, is generally over romanticized. And that resulted in this book, Secret Mother's Business, which went on to do outrageously well in Germany of all countries it sold <laughs> half a million copies which you know was such a huge surprise and to this day I still I guess I still don't really understand why but but I suspect it was because I was telling some real truths about motherhood I wasn't sugarcoating any but I was really trying to be honest about my experience as a young mother how much I loved it but also had all this kind of maternal ambivalence as well because it felt so you know, consuming and eradicating of, of my identity. But yet motherhood is such a crucial part of who I, uh, think of myself as. You know, my children are such a central part of my life. As I know for many, many Jewish mothers, it becomes the central, you know, the fulcrum of our identities. Right. And so six years later, I went on to write, um, the sequel called The Reunion, which also was based on a, on a weekend in which I took a group of girlfriends away. Now our kids were like between 11 and 13. And of course, our allegiances had changed, our friendships had changed a little bit. Some of us, you know, had left our marriages, some of us had been ill, and the demands and difficulties of having tweens and early teenagers was a whole different ballgame. And so I explored the truths about that. That book also did really well in Germany. Uh, and then I hadn't really thought that I would write a third in the trilogy, but I have to say that when I hit midlife around the age of 50, And I had these young adult children. I recognized that there was a lot to say about this period because as much as motherhood had become this central part of who I was, there was also a way in which I was having to let go of certain aspects of that identity. And so everything I had become and attempted to become this great mother of these two fabulous children was slowly peeling off me. And I was starting to ask questions about you know, who was I underneath all of that? Was there somebody else that could emerge from, you know, the dust? <laughs> once, you know, once these children had peeled their way off me and unfilled themselves into their own lives, you know, what was left in, in its wake? And so unbecoming explores this part of a woman's life. And it is this midlife point. It is, it coincides with menopause. It coincides with the end of our fertility. For many women, it coincides with you know, the end of marriages for some of us, we, we may even have lost partners. Um, some, you know, our children are young adults, but that doesn't necessarily always mean that you're free of them because we, if you have young adult children who have got maybe physical or emotional or mental psychological problems, it becomes a whole different kind of mothering. And so I wanted to explore all of that and what it means to be a woman at this time of life with the emptiness, menopause and all the changes that, that, that comes upon one at this time. That's what Unbecoming is about.
1: There is a lot to unpack here. I'm talking to Joanne Fedler this morning and you're listening to People of the Book. I love it when you
0: read to me. This is People of the Book with Janice Lieberwitz.
1: I'm Janice Lieberwitz, and you're listening to People of the Book and today I'm talking to Joanne Fedler about her new book unbecoming. So, Joanne, when you started and you first wrote Seaford Mother's Business, did you think that there was going to be a follow-up to this? Did you think you would continue? And I just want to say, the three books that you wrote, these are novels. They're, they're written as as novels. Um, the main character is, as you say, based on yourself and your own experience, but they are actually written as, as fiction books.
0: You know, yes.
1: There are other characters and these friends, They aren't actually real characters. You've, you've based them on women, but explain, explain to me how, how these characters came about and explain to me who these women are.
0: Well, you know, for all these, all these books, I always do a lot of research. I like to speak to lots of different women and hear lots of different people's experiences because the, the truth about any any part of our lives, motherhood, marriage, etc., is that there are many versions and that no one person has the truth of that experience. And the more stories you hear, the the more full your understanding of that experience can be. I think it's a mistake for us ever to believe that our experience is like the definitive experience, um, and to therefore judge. The way other people approach, for example, the way they mother their children. You know, if you never have stood in someone else's shoes, something we should avoid doing to judge how oh, they but then- we do. <laughs> but, but we, we do. do all the time, right? <laughs> but we do. But we do. Because of course, otherwise. I know. <laughs>
1: otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> How else do we exist?
0: I know. Well, it, it is, it is a very, it, it's a, it's a kind of a pernicious human tendency, the way we tend to sort of judge ourselves and other people, and we tend to uh, compare ourselves to other people, but that is part of what causes us a lot of suffering and a lot of unhappiness. We tend not to trust our, ourselves when we uh, make decisions in our own mothering. You know, we tend to read books, look for other people's opinions and validations and uh, and and feel very, very stung by people's criticisms of how we're conducting our lives. You know, I certainly felt that often when I was a young mother and felt like I was making so many mistakes. So the the way that I, yeah, yeah, the way that I remedied that was just to talk to lots and lots of different women and just hear their stories about what was happening for them in their lives. And so when I create these characters, what I'm doing is I am looking for different kinds of experiences that shine a different light onto, for example, you know, the way you approach, let's say, in Secret Mothers Business punishing your children, or how you feed them, or, you know, the, you know, the amount of time you spend with them, you know, if you want to stay at home with them, or if you want to carry on working. And I looked for people who did things differently, and then brought them all into conversation with one another, because for me, that's really the heart of how women interact is we we sit we talk we share we we discuss we and then behind each other's backs we bitch about each other and we and we compare and we criticize right and we also know that other people are doing the same about us
1: and we kid ourselves into thinking that that other people are not doing that about us we're just doing it
0: about Uh, other people but no one is doing that about us i always was conscious that if i was doing it that it was very likely that other people (laughs) were Were, were judging me, and 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 you know when your children behave in certain ways, you, you know when they are, you know in inverted commas, you know traditionally successful, you know we feel like we are successful, like we have achieved something. When our children are in inverted commas unsuccessful or struggling, you know we tend to feel like we are the failure, and yeah. that can become quite a difficult dynamic. Certainly one I have navigated and had to work through, and I have really learned the hard way. Uh, you know, having been judged and uh, criticized and found, uh, and, and sadly, Janice, actually within the Jewish community, I actually found the worst kind of critique and the worst experiences I ever had were actually amongst the kind of people I would have thought were your community. Um, and that actually made me somebody very conscious of. Never judging, uh, another, another mother, another person, because until you've actually stood in another person's shoes, it is impossible to know another person's reality. Uh, but the book, of course, is about the way women are friends, but the way we also talk behind each other's back. Certainly the first two books were like that. But in this, in this book, Unbecoming, the one thing that has changed in the consciousness of the main character and amongst all the characters in this book is that they've dropped All of that. There is no judgment of each other. There is a deep love and acceptance and compassion and empathy. Because I think when you have reached midlife and you've lived long enough, you you know that life is not all sunshine and roses, and it's not all like gloomy skies and you know bad times. It is an absolute amalgam of those two things. And you know that at any one moment your life can go from a high to a low and that. You should never be so self-congratulatory about the way things are because tomorrow your life could change in an instant and we've all lost people we've all suffered tragedies by that by that by by midlife you have suffered enough to know that life changes in a moment and so your empathy for yourself and for others and your compassion for others is at an all-time high, or well, it should be. I mean, I be. have Definitely. seen women in midlife who are still deeply critical of themselves and their bodies. You know, the way their lives have turned out. But I think that it is the time to celebrate life rather than to, you know, to wallow in a in a, in a sense of of failure or regret.
1: I totally agree. So to, to come back to to unbecoming, to to this book, which is what we're talking about. Again, the central character is Joe, based let's say loosely on yourself. And Jo is taking, let's say, a sabbatical. She's taking a time out from her husband, from her now adult children, who she just has no understanding of. She has no, she thinks maybe she's gone wrong somewhere. She doesn't understand the choices they've made. She doesn't understand the decisions they've made in their lives. And she's, she's on a bit of a timeout. She's staying somewhere. She's not with them. She's moved away for, I think it's three months or something. And she bumps into her old friend, Fiona. And Fiona tells her that she is about to celebrate her 57th birthday. And it's the first celeb- um, birthday that she's going to be celebrating after the loss of her husband. And I, I know that that she uses the word, it's the first that she's celebrating as a widow, and the word widow really—it it sets off something in Joe, and she says that she's she's going off on a sacred, a silent walk through a rainforest with um, a group of friends to to do a sacred ritual, and she would like Joe to join them. It's a spur of the moment thing that she invites Joe to come with. It's I think the next day or the next week or something, and Joe kind of thinks, well. Not doing anything else, and I'm not, I'm not with my husband at the moment. You know, I don't, I don't have to cook the meals. I'm not at home. I'm not working right now. And, and off she goes. And what was interesting to me was that right at the start, when she goes and meets these women, she thinks that, and there's a line here that you used, She said, "Ignorance gives her immunity because she doesn't know these women." So she thinks, well, she's just going to go off, go on the silent walk, come back again, and, and you know, come home. She feels that she's a gatecrasher in the sisterhood that is Fiona's, and she's just going to go, go on the silent walk, do what she needs to do, and then she's going to leave. But that doesn't happen when women are together. You, no. you know, you 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 don't have immunity. You there's involvement, there's bonding, there's you know, it it just doesn't. Happen like that. Exactly. Especially Especially in a a group of strangers. Especially in a group of strangers where you, you are able to, to let your guard down and there are no, there's no boundaries. And I have to tell you something really interesting. I happened to read this book when I was away on a women's retreat. Oh wow. With a bunch (laughs) of women that I had never met before. Mm. I I didn't, I didn't even know where I was. I was literally away somewhere in the middle of nowhere. On this retreat and I was reading this book and to tell you that the book resonated with me was like, wow, (laughs) was like, you know, aha moment. So we're going to take a break and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about this, this bonding that happens when women are together and even more so, as you say, with women that you don't know. I am talking to Joanne Fedler today and you're listening to people of the book.
0: this is People of the Book with Janice Liebowitz.
1: I'm Janice Liebewitz and today I'm talking to Joanne Fedler about her brand new book, Unbecoming. And really, if you haven't read it yet, I suggest you go out and buy it. It is really an incredible book. It's It's eye-opening and it's really something that will resonate, especially if you are a woman of a certain age. And let me tell you, it's not only for women of a certain age, it is also for men. Go out and buy it and read it and it will give you an eye-opening understanding of the women in your life. Go and (laughs) read it.
0: I've actually had a lot of men come to me and tell me that they've, they've really gained an insight into, you know, uh, you know, the women in their lives at this age because what is true is that we do change. And it's not always understandable to us and certainly not to the men in our lives.
1: Fully, fully agree. So that's why I'm saying men (laughs) need to read this book too. It's really not just for women. So before the break, we were talking about that bonding that happens with women when they are together. And funnily enough, you know, it's wonderful when you're with a bunch of people who you know really well. That is awesome. And if you have those friends and if you still have friends like that, When you are, when you've reached that age, when we are in our fifties and we've still got those close friends, that's incredible. But when you happen to get together with a group of women, as Jo does in this book, and she thinks she's able to, you know, keep herself separate and closed off, and she's going on the silent walk with women that she doesn't know, and that's just not what happens. And she goes off on this walk with, with Fiona's friends and they are a sisterhood and there's a whole lot of of revelation that comes with this and a whole lot of breaking down of boundaries and there's a lot that happens on this overnight stay in the wilderness <laughs> and um, on the beach and in the in the forest Around the fire. Around the fire. Tell me what, what happens. Well, I'm not going to reveal everything no, that no. happens Don't, around the no, fire, but I, no spoilers. I, <laughs> but I think that the point about
0: it, you know, is that when people get together and particularly groups of women, because I do spend a lot of time with groups of women, certainly before COVID, I'm, I, I take women away on retreats, always just groups of strangers. I've been on a lot of retreats myself. All different kinds of retreats: some spiritual, some writing, um, and walking. Walking retreats. What happens in a space where there is a sense of solidarity, or people are coming together for kind of a common purpose, and people begin to share their stories, is it creates a kind of a domino effect. As one person opens a door what that does is it gives permission to somebody else to step through their own doorway or across the threshold. And sometimes people tell each other secrets and things that they have never, ever, ever spoken to any other human being. I have had the privilege of being on writing retreats with women where people have shared things in that group of strangers that they have never, ever spoken or shared aloud to another human being. And what, and the braver the, the revelation, the more courage that person reveals in, in taking that step, the more it emboldens the group because you create a kind of an, an energy in that space that requires quite a lot of holding. I mean, as a facilitator and anyone who's listening to this who is a facilitator knows that the safety of the group is the most important element of that group if people feel safe in that group and sometimes being with strangers is is what gives you that feeling of safety because sometimes when people know you you feel much more vulnerable you're scared to reveal things you don't know how it's going to come back but in a group of strangers whom you think you may never see again there is a way in which your courage grows and transformation and personal transformation becomes possible in those spaces which is why I love these, these 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 spaces so much I think that so much is possible in those spaces and it all happens nothing major in terms of plot happens but when you understand something when you change your mind about something when you let go of something you've been holding on to if you think about that in terms of the impact on a person's life, the the, the the amount of time people spend in therapy, for example, just to do that, to simply let go of something that they've been holding on to for 30 years, that can happen in an instant in a group setting like this, where somebody just says the right thing that that causes a change of heart or a change of mind or an ability to somehow... Move forward in your life. And that in a way is what happens over the course of this night in different ways for each woman, because each woman is, is really navigating a, a terrible loss or a terrible grief that only gets revealed uh, through the course of this, this day and this night. And secrets are shared and people say things and they land at just the right moment for just the right person. And that was really what I was, what I was trying to show in this story.
1: And, and of course there is a catalyst that comes into play here, which I'm, um, right. we're not going to talk about. And I know that you deny that there is a plot here, but mm-hmm. I mean, I, I completely disagree because <laughs> there, there <laughs> definitely yourself. is a plot that runs through this book. And I, I, I don't know why you, you, <laughs> you, you are so animated. Well, well, because really there that, if you read one. the
0: blurb, if you read the blurb, you sort of know everything that kind of, you know, in inverted commas <laughs> happens in the Joseph Campbell kind of, you know, story arc traditional sense but I you know for me this is real women's storytelling which is that you know when you try to understand the idea of something that happens it's not necessarily an explosion or a set a chain of events that gets set in motion it's these more these deep internal it's so much deeper it's so much I know you say you read the
1: blurb and that's just what happens but it's so much deeper than that really it
0: is so much deeper
1: than that but what Jo is trying to do with taking this sabbatical is that that basically she's lost herself. She's reached the stage in her life where she spent her her entire married life, and more or less, I think we spend our entire lives trying to become something that we think we are meant to become, that we've been told we're meant to become, and we 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 working so so hard to become. This person, this wife, this mother, this partner, whoever it is that we, we think we are meant to become. And then we reach a point and we're still married or we're, we're not still married or we've lost our partner, whatever's happened to us. Our children have grown up and we think, where, where am I? Who am I now? And that's right. And we have to relearn ourselves and we Absolutely. have all, and and joe is now learning that she has to possibly unbecome in order to learn who she is so let's talk about the title of the book is she unbecoming? you put it so beautifully oh thank you but is she now needing to unbecome is she unbecoming and i know that that um during your launch um Gail Schimmel, actually, there was another interpretation of unbecoming so let's let's actually talk about the title
0: you've certainly explained the, the this idea of you know how we spend so much of our lives trying to become one or another thing a great wife, a great mother, and whatever career path we've chosen. We, you know, we spend a lot of time becoming that person. You become an expert at something. By the age of 50, you're an expert at something. And uh, for a lot of us, that may be, you know, a, a mother. It may be a partner. It may be in whatever work we've, we've chosen to do. It might be as a daughter, to aging parents, whatever it may be, you know, a member of the Jewish community, etc., etc. But at this midlife point, when so much of the, the work that you've put into these identities, these roles... Um, is kind of not wanted and you will start to feel that even when your children are teenagers and they start to push back and they don't want all this mothering. They, they need to be mothered in a different way. And I have written a book about that called Love in the Time of Contempt, which is about how you have to change the way you mother your children as they become teenagers. If you actually want to stay connected to them, you can't still mother them the way you did when they were, when they were small children. And then as they become young adults, that changes again. You know, I, I feel like I've constantly been like the egg. Has cracked so many times and I've, I've had to sort of shed the layers of myself in so many instances to, in a way, you know, become more and more marginalized in my children's lives, like more in the background, but kind of like always there, you know, a kind of an invisible presence, kind of like a hand in the small of their back rather than, you know, like pulling them by the leash or whatever it may be, whatever image we have of ourselves as mothers. So I think there comes a certain point in your life. Where well, your marriage kind of reaches a, it definitely reaches a tricky place. No matter, no matter what kind of marriage you're in, it may be when, for a lot of us, it may be when we've, when our, the last child leaves school and you finish doing this job as a team of raising these children. A lot of women actually, a lot of marriages break down exactly at that point. It's a fascinating thing. Um, and a lot of those uh, divorces are instigated by women because by the time they get to that point, they realize they don't want to be married anymore and that the marriage has run its course. They, they're not getting anything out of the marriage anymore. For a lot of women, I think, uh, you know, we, we, reach this point and we, we, we start to wonder who else could I become? Who else, what else is inside me? You know, now that all this mothering is done, because you have a lot of energy and you need somewhere to put it and you can't still be living through your children or well, you shouldn't be. I know a lot of Jewish mothers try to, but it's not, it's actually not a very healthy, it's not a very healthy uh, role for us to take on. So that's the unbecoming part, you know, the unbecoming all these things that you have become. But unbecoming also has this idea uh, behind it, you know, the interpretation of being sort of uh, not very nice and unbecoming unbecoming behavior, behavior that it is not fitting for yourself. And It's, when quite, it's quite a Victorian eat, concept. It's a very Victorian concept, but honestly, <laughs> Uh, you know, if you have a look, look at a lot of the literature, specifically, I did a lot of research on the legal literature where menopause, and menopause is used as a defense or an excuse for women's behavior, there is a lot of stereotyping of, of women as irascible, you know, difficult, that we become difficult at this age, we're not, we don't behave in the ways that we're supposed to anymore, and that you know, we become dissatisfied with our lives. We, we, we're not uh, so easily pleased anymore. And, it, 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 you know, it's when you hit menopause and you start to get angry and you, you get angry about all the things that you refused to be angry about earlier or the things you sucked up before that you're just not prepared to suck up anymore. And I just felt like when this anger came upon me, I, I just wasn't a very likable person anymore. And the best part about it, Janice, is that I didn't care I used to care about being liked, and I spent so much of my time and energy making sure that people liked me. I wanted to be liked, and it is such a tiring role to take on, to make sure that you don't offend people, and I mean, I'm not talking about being, you know, a miserable, awful person. No, again, just I, I I hear you. About not just sort of trying to please other people all the time, and sometimes just actually asking myself, what do I want? And because for, for my whole life, I cooked food for other people that other people would eat. My son was a very fussy eater. And so for like 20 years, I cooked food that he liked. Never asking myself, is this food that I want? Is this what I want? And finally, when I had to when I didn't have to think about what other people wanted, I started to think more about what I wanted to do. And that included things like. Oceans, open ocean water swimming, which I would never have done before because I was too scared because I didn't want to die and leave my children without a mother. I mean, that's another way in which, you know, I've, I've, I've unbecome myself because when people, my husband, when I started ocean water swimming, my husband would look at me and say, who are you? Who is this person? I used to not be able to get into the ocean. I was so scared of the water and I've now become somebody totally different. You know, everything I thought I was, I've let go of. I've become a new person and I really am liking the space. And there,
1: there was a word that you discovered. There was a yes. w- when you did all this research, now I happen to know <laughs> there was a word that you discovered that you'd never heard before and it's a fabulous word and I, I, I never heard it, but I, it's an amazing sounding word. So tell me the word. Again. It's a termagant,
0: a termagant and it's like, you know, it's like this shrewish, unreasonable, you know, unlikable. I guess if you had to imagine her, like this hag of a woman, like this woman who just is not gonna take anything, you know, she's just herself. Um, but it's meant as a put down. And I've really reclaimed this, you know, as, you see as I, yeah, as a I also don't
1: of- I don't see it <laughs> I just think it's it's you know, you reach the point where it, it's you're you're not meeting that expectation anymore. You're, you're like, I'm not going to be that anymore. I'm not going to do that anymore. You're expecting me to be something that I've been all those years. And Absolutely. And Janice, this goes
0: and came down all the way down to my clothing. I stopped wearing bras. I only wear the softest, most comfortable, like sports bras that don't hurt. There's no underwire, there's nothing. And some days I don't wear a bra at all. And I don't care if if anybody is offended by this. I stopped wearing stockings. I got rid of every single item in my wardrobe. That ever made me feel uncomfortable. And you know how many items in my wardrobe was squeezing and tight and uncomfortable. I will only wear things that make me feel like I can breathe, that make me feel comfortable. I just refuse. And, and, and that goes to interactions with people as well. And people, I don't engage with people that make me feel uncomfortable exactly. or, you know, who, who, who just bring me down and. Such liberation when I was just going to say it's liberating,
1: totally. It's liberating, it's energizing and it's liberating and it's freeing and it's all of those things.
0: And that's why, for me, if you are lucky enough to make it to midlife, if you are lucky enough to make it to midlife with even you know, most of your health intact, because a lot of us by this age have accumulated chronic pains or difficulties or diseases that we're managing but if you're lucky enough to be at this age there is a certain kind of casualness that you lose about life and you you start to become more serious about having fun and about being playful and about valuing and cherishing your body what it can still do the days that it doesn't hurt so much the things that you're still able to enjoy and food is one of those things. <laughs> and your girlfriends are one of those things. Absolutely. And going out into nature is one of those things. And your adult children, um, on a good day are one of those things. And it's really all to be celebrated, especially in the context of climate change, which is one of the big sort of like unspoken issues in this book. The, the backdrop of the story where these women go out into the wild, because one of the things that I did was I interviewed a lot of women and I asked them what we, what, what do they speak about at this age? And for a lot of us, we are speaking about our children's futures and worrying about whether they'll have children. A lot of them are choosing not to have children uh, because of climate change. Right. And so there is just this, this kind of feeling that the world that we birthed our children into is not the world that they have inherited. And there is that sort of slow feeling of unease and sort of almost like a slow dread that that sort of is the backdrop to the story and that that was even before COVID hit so it's just a book that is sort of trying to create this little sacred circle in you know in a world that is suffering but to say that amongst girlfriends and in these tiny little snatches of time you are still able to salvage utter joy comfort relief beauty connection love Empathy, um, and sisterhood, you know. Absolutely. And adventure, adventure. An adventure. We Absolutely. lose our sense of adventure. But honestly, at this age, I feel as if, um, you know, there is so much more open to us because I feel like we're more willing to take the risks that we didn't when we were, when we had young children.
1: Definitely. Because now we're able to. And, and we need to remember, um, you know, we've reached this age and it's a privilege that many don't get.
0: Absolutely. We need Absolutely. to appreciate it. That's why this book is dedicated to two friends of mine whom I lost, uh, you know, one was much younger than me, 35, Emma was 35, my friend Carol was 58 and I also dedicated it to my mum who was alive when I wrote it but
1: she passed away four weeks ago and so I'm very very glad that I got to dedicate the book to her too. That's really, it's moving and it's touching. I'm talking to Joanne Fedler and you're listening to People of the Book. I love it.
0: This is People of the Book with Janice Liebowitz.
1: I'm Janice Liebowitz and today we are talking about Unbecoming. My guest is Joanne Fedler. And Joanne, Unbecoming was the last in a trilogy, and I know you've been asked if there's going to be another one which would make it not a trilogy. So, um, yeah, I don't know. And, and I know you've said you're not, you're not going to write another book, but you're working on a very exciting project at the moment. So tell me a bit about that.
0: Well, Janice, I have been working with my father, Dorf Fedler, um, who was a political cartoonist for many, many years here in South Africa. He started working on a project called Gagman 35 years ago, which was a, a comic novel, words as well as illustrations about a man in the Nazi concentration camps who survives by telling jokes to the commandant. And it is the most remarkable piece of writing. It is, to me, one of the most original and intriguing projects I've ever worked on. I helped him finish writing it. It was He was struggling to finish it because he'd worked on it for so many years and it had gotten too big for him to hold in his head. So I came in uh, together with Lewis Levine, who was the architect of the Holocaust and Genocide Museum here in Johannesburg, and we've helped him finish this book, which will be coming out in early 2022. We have a lot of interest from it uh, in it from Holocaust education institutions, the Anne Frank house. And so that's what probably I will be spending my time on going forward, at least for the, you know, for the foreseeable future. Uh, I'm not sure whether I do have another book in me. I, I do think if I ever did have grandchildren and there's a big question mark over that, there would probably be new stories to tell about, about that or even maybe becoming an elder which i think is the next responsibility for all of us to be elders to the younger generation and to hold the space for them as they navigate the future uh, but let's see what happens
1: i think there's there's always stories to tell and i think you have a lot of stories still left in you so um i think there there is a lot um yeah i, I think I think there's still a lot uh, that, that we still are expecting from you, Jay. Uh, all right. Well, all I'm going to say is don't hold your breath. <laughs> Let's see what happens. <laughs> Let's see what the next couple of years bring. So I know that that gag man is something that is, is clearly very close to your heart. And when you say it's being released early 2022, are we going to see that in South Africa? Yes,
0: we have actually um, got, uh, we have actually got a way in which the book will either be published or distributed here. It was very important to us that it was distributed here. Um, so that I've just secured on this trip and so it will definitely be coming out and I'm quite sure that uh, Lewis and I will be doing some publicity around that. We are hoping that it may even be picked up by schools as a set work because it is One of the most intriguing and original, I think, pieces of work that has been um, written about the Holocaust, and it will likely be quite controversial as well, which um, will also provide for lots of interesting debate and
1: conversation. are you able to tell me a bit about the story behind sure. it? Sure. I
0: mean, I think I think the reason being is that it it it's it's about a man who's telling jokes to survive, and this is really uh, was based on just an idea my father had, but it is actually based on a lot of research that has you know emerged from the concentration camps where people who were musicians, dancers, uh, writers, were forced to entertain yeah. their captors and. That dynamic um, of, of being forced to use your artistic skill in order to survive, you know, is such a painful idea. And to try, can you imagine having to come up with a joke to make somebody laugh? And if you do not elicit the laugh, your life is on the line. And so this book really treads a very edgy line uh around what 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 is what is it possible to do in order to survive? What would you do in order to survive? Uh, but it goes, it it's 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 quite a holographic book which goes into the Kabbalah and this intriguing dynamic between Gagman and his captor. And then it moves into actually into the idea of comic books and Superman, which was the invention of two Jewish boys um, in America, um, Schuster and Siegel. And I don't want to say any more about it because it's 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 such a fascinating read. And we've had the, the few people who've actually reviewed it and endorsed it, as well as the Sydney Jewish Museum, have come back saying that it is just the most original and remarkable piece of work, which I, I really do believe it is and uh, so it will be interesting to see how it's received and of course we'll we'll be engaging in lots of conversation about it
1: it sounds like it's going to be incredible for holocaust education and and in starting a lot of conversations in uh in in that that type of education because um it's it's always needed and they're always fresh material
0: it is. And this is very different also because there are about 50 illustrations that my father did over the years that are quite haunting and, um, and very, very moving. And it focuses a lot on the burning of all the books, you know, that happened in Berlin yeah. and, and the way in which, you know, we have a responsibility as Jewish people to, to now, and it's part of really, I guess, my intergenerational inheritance, uh, bring books back into the world that are filled with Jewish soul. Filled with Jewish humor because Jewish humor is so much part of it's um, integral of the Jewish soul, you know, it's so much part of how we've managed to survive.
1: And I think for us to have something like this, from well, from you, but from someone like Dov Fedler, your father, who is, I mean, he's a bit of an icon in in the, the South African Jewish community. And I think that will be something quite special for us it to really have going is. forward.
0: It it really is Janice, and I mean, my father talks in some of his previous books about you know his yechidus uh, with the Rebbe, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, many oh, wow. many years ago, long before he had ever written a book. And the only thing the Rebbe said to him was, "Finish your book." And my father looked at him, thinking maybe he was a bit able Bottle. He, my father wasn't a you know he was a cartoonist; he wasn't a writer. And my father, every time he writ, wrote a book, because this will be his fourth book. Always thought this was the book, but I said to my dad um while I was finishing Gagman with him, I said, Dad, you know, I think this is the book the Rebbe was referring to because there is, you know, the idea of your book. And we talk about um, you know, the in Hebrew the the, the plural, um, your, it, it feels to me like this has been an intergenerational project that my father worked on, um, that was an inheritance of his that I now have inherited, that now will be passed on to future generations. And it feels like uh, the book that the Rebbe, uh, the actual book that the Rebbe was talking about, I,
1: I believe this was the one that he was that referring to. That was, he to. was referring to. Yeah. So it sounds like, um, quite an emotional journey. Oh, it's been
0: absolutely incredible. Also because it was, it happened uh, over the course of the time of my mother's illness. It, it was, it was a, a very, very emotional time and, it was also a time in which my father and I almost in a way entered into one imagination I felt like we became one mind I was able to step into his mind and help him finish this book which he couldn't do on his own so it was almost like I felt I was pulled in I was called in it wasn't something I chose I was it was definitely something that I was called to do to help him finish this book he couldn't have done it by himself it was it was too difficult it was too emotional It was too big. And I came in and I helped finish the plot, clear things away, stitch things together and weave this into one story, um, which I think is such a beautiful, beautiful, um, moving story. And I, I do think that it's going to have ripples and will definitely be used in Holocaust education.
1: Well, we are looking forward to that early next year, Joanne. It has been amazing chatting to you. Thank you so much for taking the time. As I say, I know your time has been so limited and so special. I know you've been spending it with your family. That is exactly why you've been here. This is what your trip is all about. So I really do appreciate the time you've taken to spend with me this morning. Thank you so, so much. It's been such a pleasure. Thank
0: you so much for inviting
1: me onto your show. Thank you. My guest this morning was Joanne Fedler. We've been talking about her book Unbecoming and also the book that she has been working on with her father, Dolph Fedler. It's called Gagman, and we can look forward to seeing that early next year. Thank you for listening. Take care of yourself. Take care of each other. Get vaccinated, wear a mask and read a book.